0: Well, hey, this morning we continue our series in 1 Corinthians, and we have arrived at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. uh, And God gets to pick what we talk about when we go through a book of the Bible. And guess what God decided we're going to talk about this morning? We are going to talk about sex. Sex in marriage. And we've been talking about sex for three weeks now. Last week, it was about sexual immorality. And then the week before, it was about homosexuality. Those messages are available on our website. So we've kind of covered the don'ts. And this morning, we get into the do's. And sometimes, maybe you wonder, well, does the Bible have anything good to say about sex? And the answer is yes. And we've finally gotten there this morning. Uh, Let me just say this. Sex is an erotic flame lit by God intended for marriage designed to burn for a lifetime between two people who were made one by God himself it is it is very appropriate that we're talking about this in church because God is the designer God is the sustainer of this flame that burns between two people God invented love God is love and it's sad that we don't bring this area under his lordship and give him praise for this area of our relationships. Now, the fire of erotic love should never go out, but sadly, this love had grown cold in Corinth. And married couples had, however it happened, they had lost their passion for one another. Uh, and as we read Paul's words to them this morning, we also read God's word to us, calling upon us to build, uh, to build a roaring blaze in the bedroom. Are you uncomfortable yet? I'm just getting started. (laughs) Let's pray. (laughs) Father, this morning we come into your presence and we expect you to speak even about this. Lord, we are eager to hear your voice on this important issue. And Father, this issue is everywhere. It's being talked about everywhere. It's being thought about ongoingly. And I pray that as your voice, as your word weighs in here, we would see, Lord, how amazing this gift is that you've given and how we are supposed to contain it, Lord, and to best enjoy it. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, are you there? 1 Corinthians 7, are you there? You need a Bible. You need a Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. It says this. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. All right, so Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthians that we don't have on file, okay? And then they wrote him back. We don't have either of those letters. So Paul kicks it off by saying, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, Um, This makes it hard to figure out what's going on here because we're picking up a conversation that's already in progress. Okay, And in verse 1, since it's hard to translate, uh, if you have different translations than the ESV, you're looking at it and you're like, wait a minute, my Bible says something different. Um, In the ESV, it, it says this, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, quote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, end quote. Okay, the problem here is, they didn't have quotes in that day, and so we we're left guessing almost if the Corinthians were talking or if Paul was talking. Is Paul quoting them? Are they quoting him? Is he just giving a... And so that's why translations vary here. But it's important to note a few things. There's two main possibilities. Uh, some would see this as Paul's asking the question and answering it, should I get married or not? Um, And the traditional reading of this text is, should I get married or not? Well, it's good not to, but if you can't control your lust, then go ahead and get married. Um, But I don't think that's the best reading of this introductory section. There's a few reasons for that. I think that the ESV gets it right. The ESV uh, has the Corinthians as saying this, it's best if we refrain from sex altogether. And Paul responds to them saying that. Think that's the best way to interpret it. And what is his response? Well, here comes the first point. Jot it down. Have a lot of sex with your spouse. All the women are blushing right now and all the men are reaching for a pen. <laughs> I am really glad I came to church today. <laughs> this is the summary of of what the Bible is saying to you and to me this morning. Um, Let me uh, look and make a few notes in this passage. Verse 2, or actually in verse 1 it says, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Now that phrase, have sexual relations, is actually an interpretation by the ESV. In the Greek, it simply says it's not good, or it's good for a man not to touch a woman. It just says to touch But the word touch is a euphemism. It softens up something. Um, Just like if we were to say, you know, uh, he slept with her. Slept with means a lot more than "snoozed." okay? It's a euphemism. It's a way to soften up something that's a lot more graphic. So when it says here, it is good for a man not to touch a woman, it means have sex with a woman. It's clear that that's what it means. It always means that. Now, the the NIV, unfortunately, translates this word touch, uh, Mary. And that is absolutely not what it means. It's unfortunate they filled in that blank for you and they have uh, a, uh, an interpretation of this text and they decided to just insert that to make it read easier for you. But it simply does not mean marry. The word marry does not appear until later in the text. Okay? So I think it's a bad translation to say, concerning the matters which you wrote, it is good for a man not to marry. I don't think that's what it says. Okay? What it actually says, blatantly says, is this. It is good for a man not to have sex with a woman. All right, now I'm wondering who said that. Are you wondering who said that? Who said that? Who is saying this, that it's, it's good for a man not to have sex with a woman? If, is it Paul who's saying that? Is it the Corinthians who are saying that? Whoever's saying that has some explaining to do in my book. I'm just saying. Last week, we learned that in Greek thought, some believed that the body was disposable and the soul was eternal. Given that thinking, they reasoned they could go to prostitutes, and it in no way harmed their soul and in no way jeopardized their judgment. However, there was another camp, and this week we're talking to them. The other camp believed that the body was bad and was dirty and needed to be strongly restrained from pleasure, okay? Now, I think it's best to assume that it's these people who are saying it's good for a man not to have sex with a woman because we have to restrain ourselves from pleasure because it pollutes our soul. I think that's the best rendering here. It may have been especially concerning to some Christian women in Corinth who were married to a non-believing husband and who were fearing or saying that this exchange, this relational exchange, now that they're Christians, could somehow pollute them spiritually. And so they were refraining from sex in marriage. Okay, check out verse two. Verse two, Paul responds, but because of the temptation... To sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Now, if you were raised kind of on the traditional interpretation of this, you were taught that this means get a wife or get a husband. If you can't control yourself, go find a wife or go find a husband. Because the word Mary has not appeared yet, I think he's directly still talking to husband and wife. And what he's saying here is because of the immor- sexual immorality, which, by the way, we learned last week is going on already you should have sexual relations with your husband. And, wife, you, or, and husband, you should have sexual relations with your wife. Um, this is reinforced by verse 3. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. The point is, have a lot of sex with your spouse. The problem is they're not having sex with their spouse. The reasoning here that he goes on to give is, here's the 1st subpoint, jot this down. Uh, Because sex repels temptation. Because sex repels temptation. Um, The women were more likely the guilty party here, um, using this philosophy, this Greek philosophy, or a spiritual fear of withholding sex from their husbands and thereby driving their husbands to prostitutes. Uh, It's very likely that the thinking was sex is dirty, sex is gross, sex can even jeopardize my spiritual growth, and therefore it's just done. That's likely what's happening here. Now, that negative attitude towards sex is still prevailing today. In fact, there's, there's, just, something, uh, there's just something natural about that. Um, we recently had the talk with our daughter Ellie. Parents, if, if you've had to have the talk with your young child recently, you know that it is not an easy thing to do. Um, and Ellie just sat there and took it and flinched a little, and her eyes got real wide, and she's 10 years old. And so, uh, so we told her, and we told her everything, and her response was this, weird, <laughs> and gross, <laughs> and weird. <laughs> That's what she said, weird, and gross, and weird. Well, apparently, some in Corinth had not grown out of that negative mentality, and I think that sentiment still lives on in some even today. Uh, I came across a, a humorous book this week, allegedly penned by a woman named Ruth Smithers from 1894, and in it she gives advice to young brides. She says this, To the sensitive young woman who has had the benefits of a proper upbringing, the wedding day is, ironically, both the happiest and the most terrifying day of her life. On the positive side, there is the beautiful and inspiring ceremony symbolizing her triumph in securing a male to provide for all her needs for the rest of her life. On the negative side, there is the wedding night, during which the bride must pay the piper, so to speak, by facing for the first time the terrible experience of sex. At this point, dear reader, let me concede one shocking truth. Some, some young women actually anticipate the wedding night ordeal with curiosity and pleasure. Beware such an attitude. A selfish and sensual husband can easily take advantage of such a bride. One cardinal rule of marriage should never be forgotten. Give little, give seldom, and above all, give grudgingly. Well, thank you, Ruth Smithers. <laughs> this, is, uh, this book is probably written as a spoof, but it captures a common sentiment uh, that sex is bad, that sex is dirty, that sex is naughty. Uh, but listen, this is dangerous thinking. Um, because Paul here says, the Bible here says, that if your sex life is not healthy in marriage, then you're opening up your marriage to sexual temptation. Um, And if you're withholding it from your spouse, um, your spouse is thereby more vulnerable to spiritual attack in this area than they otherwise would have been. Well, there's another reason that he gives, not just because sex repels temptation, but also, jot this down, because sex was part of your vows uh, it was part of your vows. Hey, in case you didn't check the manual, the uh, fine print in your wedding vows, including a provision, included a provision for a lifetime supply of intimacy. Maybe you didn't see that footnote, but it was in there. And he reminds us here. The Bible reminds us here, uh, looking at verse three, it says the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. Um, that means what is due. That means what is owed. Uh, And likewise, the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, um, but the wife does. I do think this is best read, as I said, have, as in have intimacy with one another. And this literally reads, To the wife let the husband give what is due, and also the wife to the husband. Uh, Therefore, it's not a favor... It's not a bribe. It's not a reward. It's not a bargaining chip. It's not a punishment. It's something you promised before God at the altar. Uh, It's something you promised in the presence of the witnesses. And therefore, it's simply not optional. The Bible says have a lot of sex with your spouse because sex repels temptation, because sex was part of your vows. But now you're like, all right, is that it? Like,. Is that all there is to it? Like, all right, fine, because I have to. I mean, isn't that like legalistic? And the answer is no. Moving on here to the next point. You can jot this down. Stop putting the fire out. Stop putting the fire out. And we'll read on in verse 5. It says in verse 5, Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. It's basically saying stop, stop putting out the fire. And given the verb tense, this could read, um, this could read stop depriving each other, meaning stop doing something that you're doing. You're currently doing this. Uh, one of the members of the marriage is currently keeping it, away from the other stop depriving one another and the word deprive means to rob it means to take something away that belongs to another and therefore taking intimacy away from a spouse is theft in god's book um, there is an exception it says except by mutual agreement for a limited time and then paul says here and i do believe that this verse um In verse 6, I do believe that this is a concession that relates directly to the previous verse. So now as a concession, not a command, I say this. Say what? Um, That for a limited time you can refrain. That's the concession. For a limited time, by agreement, if it's temporary, maybe for a spiritual purpose, okay. But I say that as a concession and I don't command it. I'm not saying get your prayer on, you know, twice a week and, and, and use that as an excuse to stop... The intimacy, even that is just a concession. So here there's spiritual reasons for refraining from time to time. But then he says, get back together in this so that Satan may not tempt you. You have to understand that um, if this area breaks, if this area in your marriage breaks, uh, then Satan has a free beachhead where he can land. Uh, And the Bible teaches that Satan can't have any power over us that we don't give to him. He can't touch us, it says in 1 John. But if we give him a beachhead, then he can land, and then he can start to work. He can start to go to work dividing us. He can go to work lobbing some lies behind enemy lines, beginning to woo one of us on to his side. Uh, and, and if this area is broken, um, your marriage is in great danger. So it was philosophy in Corinth that was putting it out, and then subsequently temptation. But uh, there are other things that put out the fire. Uh, let's jot a few things down that could put out the fire in our marriage. Uh, you can jot this down. The first one is unresolved conflict. Um, unresolved conflict puts the fire out. It's tragic when a marriage rolls along on four flat tires. It really is, because we don't take the time to patch up the holes. Uh, and if if we don't get good at mending hurts, and if we don't get good at talking through problems, then, then that uh, will put out the fire. Um, and, and learning concepts like forgiveness and uh, learning concepts like grace um, and putting the past behind us will help to keep the fire going. And the truth is sexual problems are usually symptoms of deeper relational problems. And one of those issues may be unresolved conflict. Now, the next sub-point would be this. Workaholism and stress puts the fire out. The truth is if you're so busy that sex is the only relational act that happens, it gets cold fast. Uh, and that's because sex is not designed to sustain a marriage. Uh, love is. And, and sex has to be the fireworks finale at the end of an ongoing loving intimacy happening between two people. Uh, the next subpoint would be unrestrained nagging. Um, hey, Proverbs warns women of becoming what is called a quarrelsome wife. And it uses very graphic terms to describe what it's like to be living in the house with a quarrelsome wife. It says it's better to live in the desert, it's better to live on the corner of a roof, and it feels like decay in the bones if a wife is all over everything a husband is doing. Unrestrained nagging will put the fire out fast, real fast. And it's something that needs to be watched. The next subpoint would be this: cheating with pornography, uh, cheating with pornography. Um, more a temptation for the guys, but um, this will rob your spouse of your desire and, and your passion. Um, it's, also, it's also angering the Lord, and it's inviting a curse on your household. And I would just say this to guys: if, if you've never gotten to the point where you have an extended season of victory in this area of your life, it is possible. And it is hurting uh, and it is stealing from your wife what is rightfully hers. And the Lord is not happy with it. And so you have to get an accountability partner. You have to open up to him, tell him how bad the problem is and tell him how long it's been going on for or you will never, you'll never get on top of this one. Um, And it does threaten your intimacy. But an extended season of victory in your life in this area can begin today. Uh, The next thing that puts the fire out would be past baggage. Past baggage, this, this could be whether you sinned in this area and you've never dealt with it before God or with your spouse. This could be someone else sinned against you and the pain of your past is right there. Uh, and listen, these things don't go away easily. Um, maybe you've just always struggled with poor image and you've never opened up or, or had somebody help you with that, but the past comes with us into our marriage. Um, and your past is like train cars attached to your present. And if you don't turn around and uncouple the clamps, then you'll always be lugging it around right behind you. Maybe that is what has been hindering your intimacy now. Um, Have you dealt with your past before God? I mean, a lot more to it than just putting it back there and forgetting it ever happened. I mean, have you dug up and, and brought your past into the holy presence of the Lord and asked Him, for forgiveness um have you mended that relationship with god and then have you have you even reconciled that with your spouse um, it is attached and you have to do something in order to free yourself from that but the lord can help the last sub point i would say what puts the fire out well poor communication poor communicate you just don't talk about it, it just doesn't come up uh conversation is just over been over for a long time hey let me challenge you no let me dare you i'm gonna dare you is this so junior high or what i dare you i dare you to ask your spouse on a on a scale of one to ten rate our intimacy i dare you and then and then i double dare you i double dare you to say what do we need to do to make it a 10 have that conversation why not? You're married. You're in it for life. And obviously, the Lord has a, a plan for the quality of your intimacy here. So stop putting the fire out. Open the channels of communication. And let me just talk to each person in the marriage, uh, just one at a time here. And, wives, this is just a great time for you to do some self evaluation. Uh, just ask yourself is it, is it you who's turning the furnace off? Is it you? Are you the one who's putting the fire out? Are you the guilty party? Well, that's all he ever wants. All right, so you want him to be more demanding? Is that what it is? Because I'm pretty sure he could oblige if that's really what you're after. Uh, well, that's all he ever gives. Okay, now that is very real uh, and very hurtful. Um, and guys, you've you got to realize that if you pursue a loving relationship with your wife outside the bedroom... Uh, generally there will be a passionate response inside the bedroom and all this is connected to God's overall plan for your marriage but listen wives if you're the one you still are punishing him by drilling another hole in the canoe and your marriage is sinking faster because of your choice okay and this is something that has to be corrected well husbands I don't think you're exempt here um are you the one who's turning the furnace off Uh, Is it cold because of you? Primarily because of you. Um, If it is, there is a problem. Okay? There is a problem. Something is wrong. It it could be a moral problem. It could be a medical problem. Um, I don't know, but uh, I don't believe you if you say there's not a problem. I don't believe you. There is a problem. Maybe you don't know about it yet, but uh, either you need help uh, and you have to get together with someone to to open up about it, or you got to see your doctor or something. But if it's cold because of you, there is a problem in your marriage, and it can't stay that way. Uh, there has to be some progress made, uh, and I would just recommend that you help get some help immediately on that. Uh, so stop putting the fire out. For whatever reason, the fire has to remain lit. Uh, which brings us to the third point here. Check out verse 6. Verse 6, it says this, Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. Um as a concession, not a command. And then he says, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. So Paul here in this season of his life was single. Uh, they may have even been pointing to him and, and saying, see, like you, I mean, you're, you're refraining from it to uh, increase your devotion to the Lord, so we should as well. And Paul's like, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh you're in marriage. And it's interesting the way he puts it. He said, sure, it would be nice if it's true and you were like me and you could give yourself wholeheartedly without any other uh, obligations to the Lord, okay? But, but he says here, each one has his own gift from God. He says, one of one kind and one of another. And so, therefore, he's calling his singleness and his ability to be celibate as a gift. But he's calling your marriage and the, uh, the opportunity to be intimate as a gift of another kind. And he says it's from God. All right, so jot this down. Here's the third point. God is flat out, frankly and blatantly, God is pro-sex. Write that down. God is pro-sex because Paul calls it a gift from God. Check out Song of Solomon 8.6, which we'll put up on the screen. It says this, often quoted in wedding ceremonies, Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death, jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. I love that poetic imagery. I love that it talks about love as so strong, Its flashes, it's burning, and it says it's, it's the very flame of the Lord, meaning it traces its heat, it traces its power, it traces its passion back to the very nature of God. Um, God was the one standing there after the fire of human intimacy was first lit, and God's the one who started it. Do you realize that, that when you first fell in love with your spouse, do you realize that God was the one smiling because he lit the wick? Do you realize that God wired us from the very beginning of time to be able to experience this uh, this intimacy, to be able to experience this passion, that he wired your whole system so that, so that this is something that you can experience. And he made it so that it could last for an entire lifetime. God is the author of it. And the Bible is very honest when it comes to this and God's will for your marriage. Check out Proverbs 5, 18 to 19 that we'll put on the screen. The Bible says this, Let your fountain, and that means the intimate part of your marriage, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe. These these are ancient words like, you know, puppy, or, you know, we call each other words today. Lovely deer, graceful doe. Then it says, "Let let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Do you see that the Bible paints a picture for your marriage where there is this ongoing delight in one another? It... It it talks about it as if you're drunk in the presence of each other. You're just being intoxicated always in her love. God is pro-sex. And there are some things that you can do that will stoke the fire and God is on your side. A few things that you can jot down would be this. Uh, first, First, because sex is not the only thing that God has commanded you in your marriage, jot this down, quality time. Uh, There are so many other relational elements that God expects you to work into your marriage with trust and with love and with respect and just with common consideration. Okay, so you can't just go after this one. Uh, Quality time means that there's a part of every day marked by meaningful communication and interaction, talking together, walking together. Uh, And I don't mean sitting next to to each other on the couch while you're watching TV. That, That doesn't count, all right? That doesn't count. And I don't mean sitting together and each of you has a laptop open and you're playing words with friends or cruising facebook that doesn't count everybody say that doesn't count that's that's junk time that does nothing to build your intimacy and whatever stage of life you're in but especially uh husbands if your wife is at home with young kids when you get home she craves grown-up conversation she's afraid she can't even partake of it anymore She's been losing brain cells and memories since you've started having kids, all right? And she's afraid that she's going to go senile before her youngest reaches preschool. You're helping her to stay sane by offering her grown-up conversation when you get home. But even if the kids are raised and gone, even if you don't have kids yet, there are just so many other things you could give your attention to. And if you don't give your attention to one another, um, then, then the love is going to grow cold. Uh, and then the sex is going to grow cold too. So quality time is huge. Uh, I would say this, romance, write that down, romance. Uh, Date your spouse. We're teaching our children that they're not allowed to date until they get married. (laughs) I got a thumbs up on that one. (laughs) When can I date? After you're married. Things will go better that way, right? I don't think I'm going to get away with it, right? Ellie's very strong-willed. Um, but I'm going to try. Romance should actually get better after, after you're married. Hey, if you think a babysitter is expensive, wait until you see the divorce bill. Uh, if you're trying to cut costs on that one, good luck. Um, this On Friday, it was Lauren's turn to pick the movie. My dad babysits for us every other week. It's been an amazing blessing, and I don't think we would have been as committed to dating uh, if he hadn't done that. So it was Lauren's turn to pick the movie, and she picked a chick flick. So I walked into the chick flick... Just kind of like this. I didn't even take my coat off. Sat down. And there were five other guys in the theater, and then all women. Five other guys. And all the guys kind of had a common look on their face. They didn't say a word throughout the whole movie. And anytime the lead actor would come on, all the girls, whoa. And the guys would just kind of sit there. The only time that the guys made a peep was when someone came on screen wearing a Cubs hoodie, and all the guys at the same time went, ugh. Then they went back into whatever happy place they were in, replaying sports or whatever. (laughs) But guys, let me just challenge you on this. However you get it done, you take the lead on this one. Um, I want you to say to your wife, uh, we're going to start dating at least once a month, and it's going to start this week. Say that to her. And then when she passes out, pick her back up. (laughs) And remind her what you just said to her, because the romance has to happen. Uh, the romance will increase the, the love. Quality time, romance, and you have to be intentional. Uh, and spiritual growth would be the third one. Jot that down, spiritual growth. You know, this is, just a, um, this is just something that is so true in life. Your relationship with Christ makes all other relationships stronger and deeper. Um, and if your marriage is weak, and if you feel like things are hopeless, Maybe sex is just a small part of the problems that you feel like you have. Okay, and I know with some of you here today, that's the way you're feeling. Um, And you have to have hope. Primarily, you have to begin with hope that the Lord Jesus Christ is able to even rule and bless in this particular area of your marriage. Um, You have to begin with faith because God alone is able to rekindle the fire of your relationship God designed it so that it would never go out do you realize your body is wired so that the fire would never go out it's meant to last literally for a lifetime and that's the way God designed it and and I know that there are some here this morning and you've been really wrestling because you feel like the fire's out and the fire's been out and and you don't even know if it's possible for it for it to be lit again and it's, it's bigger than the intimacy. It's just, it's just the fire in your marriage, period. It's, it's the love. It's, it's everything. And, and it's a crisis of faith. But God made it so that it won't go out. And you have to have hope that he can ignite it again. I learned an amazing fact this week. Um, there's a star in our galaxy called a super red giant. And this star is so big that if you were to place it in the center of our solar system, you swap out our sun for this one, it's so big that it would fill our solar system not only past Mercury, not only past Venus, um, not only past Earth, but past Mars. That's how huge this star is. Can you even fathom something so big that burns so hot can you even imagine what NICOR would charge you to keep that star lit for a single day? And yet, God doesn't have a problem. God can keep that thing burning. So what, you think that you're fire? You think he's sitting there stumped? Boy, I don't know. I got, I'm trying to get this lit, but this one, I, really, I got the big red super giant going, but, but this, I mean, I'm just throwing up my hands. I can't, you really think that it's a problem for God? You really think that it's hopeless? You, you really believe the lie that he can't rekindle that passion again? Uh, God is huge and uh, fire is his specialty. And I would just encourage you by faith, if this is an area that's broken in your marriage, pray to God. Yes, pray about this. Uh, trust God to light this again. And open channels of communication back up with each other but open a channel of communication up with God and be honest and be sensitive with each other. And the Lord will go to work. Let's just close in prayer and and let's just lift this up to the Lord right now. And let's trust him that in this area, because it's come up in his word, that he wants to take action on your behalf and bless your marriage. Let's pray. Father, what an encouraging truth that uh, just as you have united uh, those in this room who are married, so you promise to sustain the passion that they felt for one another. And Lord, I know that there are many here today who, um, oh, it's the cry of their heart that their marriage would be better than it is. And and Lord, they just, they just wish that something would change, and they've wished that something would change for a while. Um, and while this has been somewhat light and, and humorous to listen to, Lord, they're going to drive away tempted to just be silent and to drift back into despair that nothing is going to change. But, uh, Father, if you call us to something, you provide everything that is necessary for us to obey. So my prayer is that this would be the beginning for many. uh, that This would be the beginning of a new chapter in their relationship. Uh, Lord, my prayer is that you would show your amazing strength and your love, as in marriages in this room, you go to work, and I pray that we would hear story after story of of your power, Lord, as you strengthen relationships. Lord, as you create intimacy where it doesn't exist, as you bring things to light that, Lord, have been hurting and have been hidden for a long time, and show your redemptive power to heal up and strengthen the relationships in this room. And Father, we will give you all the glory for it. We trust you with it. Father, we ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.